Well, if you haven't been here in a while or if it's uh, your first time joining us, welcome. We're so grateful that you're with us here this morning. We are in the book of Jonah, and this is our sermon series. We're in our third week. We're still in chapter one, but the title of our sermon series is Lord Have Mercy. And that's because it's something that we need, and it's something that God offers, and it's something that we see vividly here in the book of Jonah. We see through this wonderful story that there's rebellion and disobedience from mankind, but that there's a gracious God who's merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This prophecy shows us that God's love has no national or political or historical or geographical borders, and that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ made on our behalf was offered to all. Amen. So, as we start here in uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 16, I want to start, as I often do, by prodding your heart and your mind with a thought. Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe the Word teaches, and here's what I believe that life shows us. I believe that God has wired us to search for something that is bigger than ourselves. We are a worshiping being. We are wired for worship. Constantly, every single day, we are looking around for something bigger than us. And we want to see something that's beautiful that we can admire, something that's magnificent that can astound us, something that's powerful that can make us tremble. We look for this every day. And unfortunately, we don't look for it in the right places. We look for beauty in a magazine cover. We look for magnificence, magnificence in the performance of a great athlete on the praying field. We look for power from an engine or a loaded firearm. None of these things are wrong. They're just not the source of those things. See, God has wired us in such a way that we would constantly, since our birth, be looking for something greater than ourselves and that in our search for something greater, we would find the Creator Himself. That's how we're wired. And that's what we're called to be as the creation, looking for and worshiping the Creator. We are created to yearn for, to worship, and to obey a sovereign God who's the source and highest possible manifestation of beauty, magnificence, and power that we could ever possibly imagine. And when we encounter this awesome presence of God, there's only one logical way in which we can respond. Simply put, when we truly know God, we will worship Him because we love Him but also because we fear him. It is a good and wonderful thing to fear the Lord. And it is my belief that fear is something in 2017 that we just don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. And so that's really what I want to talk about here today. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to, again, the book of Jonah towards the end of the Old Testament. We'll be in Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 16, and the title of our message today is Fearing a Sovereign Lord. Fearing a Sovereign Lord. So, in the tradition of this church and out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy word, if you would stand, and we'll proclaim its truth, its infallibility, and its inerrancy. Can Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? 
And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men who were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you, and we thank you and praise you for this day. Father, this is a heavy subject, and it's something I'm learning as much as teaching. And I'm, Father, I just pray that you would quiet my heart and mind, that every word that would come from this pulpit and the time we have left would be yours, and that the honor and glory would be yours as well. Teach us to fear you but to fear you rightly, that you are a God to both be loved and to be feared. And Father, help us to see that fear is a good thing and that you have wired us to fear you as we also love you. Help us now in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. This idea of fear, it's hard to wrap our heads around. Before we dive into that, let me just say this. If, if, if you're diving in for the first time with us and you, you didn't read the first part of Jonah, the first two weeks we talked about running from God was our first message in Jonah 1. And then we talked about calling out to God in the storm. And so we see Jonah, this prophet, called of God, representing the nation of Israel, and he's called to go and preach to the Ninevites. And he's called to preach repentance. And Jonah knows that God is a loving and holy God, and that if he does preach repentance, God is going to bless and give mercy to his sworn enemy, the Ninevites. And so Jonah wants nothing to do with that, and so he tries to run away from the presence of the Lord, which he finds out, and which we all know you can't outrun God. And he pays his fare, and he, he takes a ship that is boarded up at Tarshish, and on his way to Joppa, and he gets on the, on the boat, and he starts heading in one direction, and all of a sudden we learned last week that the storm hits this boat. And Jonah's asleep on the boat. But the mariners, these professional seamen, are scared out of their mind. And so that should show us the drama of this storm, that professional seamen would be scared for their lives. And so we see that they wake Jonah up, and now the questioning begins. But before we dive into the first of our three points that I'd like to make about fearing a sovereign Lord, I think it's good that we stop for a minute and we define a few terms that help us to understand what we're talking about. So first, when I say sovereign, we talk about that a lot in the church, but do we know what it means? I think the best way to describe sovereignty as it, as it applies to God is to say this. Sovereignty defines a higher power who is supreme, powerful, in full control, and has authority over all things. When I stand up here and talk about the sovereignty of God, what I mean is God is powerful. He can do anything 
at any time for any reason, and no one can stop God from doing what God wants to do. That's sovereign. He is past, present, and future all at one time. He is in every place at one time. He is God. He is sovereign. He knows all things. He can do all things. That's who God is. And our response to that sovereignty logically is fear. All right? When we fear His power, we fear His control, we fear His authority, we should have a fear that leads us to reverence for His awesomeness, a fear that leads to our submission to His will and our allegiance to His mission. There are different types of fear, and I think this is where we get confused. And as we dive in, we're going to see these different types of fear because there is a fear that as a Christian we're called not to have, but then there's a fear that we're always called to have. And I think we've gotten confused about this in the 21st century, especially here in America where we live in an unprecedented age of grace. We talk a lot about God's love. We stop and don't talk so much about God's fear. So let me just say before we go to point one, God is the same that he's always been. God is as intolerant of sin today as he's ever been in human history. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and we're going to walk through the gospel towards the end of our message here this morning, then you can say that the wrath of God has taken on by Jesus Christ on the cross, and so you're no longer afraid of condemnation. But even for those of you who are children of God... It is good and right to fear the God because of his power and his majesty and his reverence, but also because as a loving father, God is still in the spanking business. I've mentioned that a few times, that our sin may not make us invalid for salvation. You can't lose what you didn't earn, but there'll still be major consequences in our life. And sometimes I don't know if we're ready to pay for those consequences because we don't fear God. We don't fear God. So what do I want to say about fearing a sovereign Lord? Well, looking at the text here, the first of the three points that I'd like to make today is this. Number one, fear the Lord's sovereign presence. Fear the Lord's sovereign presence. Let me go back and read verses 7 through 10 and walk through this together. Starting in verse 7, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on who account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So let's walk through the beginning of this passage. It says in the very beginning of verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. All right, I I, I did a lot of research on the historical background of casting lots. First of all, to cast a lot shows that you believe in sovereignty of some type of God. Here's what casting lots is. There's different ways that it was done, but prominently at this particular time in history, scholars believe the way they would cast lots is they would have dice. They wouldn't have the little dots on them like we do. They're not playing Yahtzee, all right? But they've got dark side and they've got a light side. And so when they would cast lots, if they wanted to figure out who was guilty, if they rolled the dice and it came up two dark sides, it wasn't them. If it came up one dark side, one light side, they had to roll again 
And then it came up two light sides, and they believed that person was the one who was guilty. And so what do they do? They roll the dice. They ask for God to sovereignly show them who's guilty. Comes up two light sides, kind of like our version of snake eyes, comes up on old Jonah. And it shows in the sovereignty of God that he's the one that's guilty of running from the Lord, bringing on God's wrath, and is the author of God's storm. That's what they did when they cast lots. But as they do cast lots and they realize that Jonah is the one responsible for this storm, the questioning begins. And they ask four questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So they start peppering him with questions, but he doesn't answer all the questions. How does Jonah respond? This is where we have to look carefully here. Jonah responds by saying, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. And that my Lord is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. There's two things we need to understand about his response. Number one, he never revealed his occupation as a prophet. You know why? Because he wasn't acting as a prophet. He was told to go and prophesy. That's what a prophet does. If you're a prophet who doesn't prophesy, you're no longer a prophet. He's not doing the Lord's work. He's living in disobedience. So he doesn't even admit his occupation. He doesn't say anything about being a prophet. But he also not only mentions the Lord's name, but he also mentions the Lord's supreme power as creator. And why did he do that? Well, historically, we believe that those who were on the ship at this time were polytheists, which means they believed in multiple gods. All right, we don't believe that they knew the one true God, but they worshiped all types of gods. And so when they get to Jonah and say, who is it that you are, Jonah? Where are you from? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. And one of the ways that Hebrews are identified as the nation of Israel is they worship the God of creation, the one true God who made the sea and made the land and made everything in between. Jonah's saying, I don't worship a God. I worship the God. And he makes it loud and he makes it clear. And he says, basically, this is the God who controls all things. He made the sea, he made the land, and he made this storm. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's saying that he's powerful, and that he's fleeing from the the presence of this powerful God. And the response of the mariners was what? Fear. They were scared to death because of the power of God. Now that makes us stop and say, okay, what should our fear of God be? Here's what always tripped me up. In the book of 1 John, there's a passage that says, perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with condemnation. And if we are Christians, we're no longer condemned. That's one side of fear. And if you're a believer in Christ, yes, you should not fear condemnation because again, if you're God's, you're his. You can't be unborn again. And that is a gift of God that we receive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. However, there's still another side of that coin. There's still another fear that we're all called to have. And I think the church is losing this. And because we're losing in this, we're entering into sin in ways that the church has never sinned before. All right, let me tell you a, a passage that really brought this to light with me. If you have a Bible and, and, you're, and you're walking through this passage with me, keep your thumb on Jonah. And turn to one more passage. Turn to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. For those that have a Bible, I'll give you a minute to turn there. Okay? Turn to the book of Exodus, second book, uh, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. 
I do not think there is a better passage in the Old Testament that can teach us the type of fear that we're supposed to have in God. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. Let me read it, and then I'll explain. Starting in verse 18, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they, took, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Here in this passage, we see a paradox. First of all, here's the context. Moses is up on Mount Sinai as God is handing down the Mosaic law, starting with the Ten Commandments. Moses is coming down from the mountain. The people are hearing and seeing the thunder and the lightning. They're scared out of their mind. And Moses says something that sounds really confusing. In verse 20, Moses starts off by saying, fear not, fear not. And then he says, God has come to test you that you may have fear of him by being before him. So Moses is saying, don't fear. Come closer so that you will fear. Moses, what are you talking about? You're driving me crazy over here, buddy. Like, what are you trying to say? This is the key that unlocks the mystery as to what type of fear all of us should have. I believe there's two types of fear primarily the Bible talks about. The first fear and the second fear. The first one is that we must not have a fear of God that keeps us completely away from Him. But the second fear is we must have a fear that brings us to His presence closely, carefully, and with the right attitude of reverence. That's what he's saying. Moses is saying, fear not. Don't be so scared of God that you run in the other direction. But have fear in him so that when you do approach him, you approach him with the right attitude because he is God and he will be worshiped. Amen? This is why every Sunday we have been in the past few months going through a time of confession. And reciting the words of 1 John. Because before we ever worship, before we ever sing a song of praise, we need to know whose presence we're coming into. We need to come into with reverence and awe and worship. Because God is as sovereign and as powerful as He has ever been. That's who God is. And again, the two types of fear. The fear of running away from Him, that's not the fear that God wants. He wants you to come to Him. But, not the, but he wants us to have the type of fear that as we come to him, we come to him at the right pace and with the right heart and with the right attitude. Because he's not just somebody that we're playing games with. God's not your co-pilot. He's not your buddy. He's the creator of the universe, and he is not to be trifled with. And here's what I believe. I believe that we live in an age of unprecedented grace. And because of that grace, we think God is not as sovereign now as he once was or is not as powerful now as he once was or will not punish us now as he would have. And that is simply not true. He's a good father, and a good father knows how to balance grace and truth. <laughs> I was, when I was reading this passage in Exodus, <clears throat> I thought of a, a moment in my life where God was <laughs> merciful and gracious to me in my ignorance. He's, he, he often is that way, as often I show my ignorance. But I remember when I was first a believer, this may have been seven, eight, nine years ago, maybe a decade ago at this point. Um, one night I was praying, and for a, for a couple weeks I was praying that God would speak to me in an audible voice. You ever had those prayers? 
God, just tell me. Just come down, speak to me. If you tell me in a word that I can understand, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I mean, I would look for signs. I thought God was mapping out messages to me in my alphabet soup. I mean, I was just, I was going in all the wrong directions. But one night in my bedroom, I was on my knees and I just kept saying, why won't you speak to me? Give me just one word. And then on the other side of the room, it was pitch black in the room. On the other side of the room, I had a jacket that was hanging on a chair. And it fell off the chair and the zipper banged against the wall and made this loud sound. And I jumped about three feet in the air. I felt like about a five-year-old. And I said, okay, God, now I know why you will not speak to me in an audible voice. I can't handle it. The people in the Old Testament couldn't handle it. They said, Moses, you talk to us and, and we'll do what God says. But if God talks to us, we'll die. They had such a reverence for his power and his glory that they could not even hear his voice and think that they would live. Think of that God, and then think of the God today. When people talk about God, they talk about their life coach, their co-pilot, their buddy, their partner, their friend. Now, I don't want to, to uh, water down this idea that we don't have an intimate relationship with God, because through Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about this at the conclusion, through Jesus Christ, we should not have fear of condemnation. We should be able to come to him as a child to sit on his lap and cry out, Abba, Father. But even then, God is still worthy of our reverent worship. It doesn't mean that he's our buddy. It means that we come to him as a good father and we come to him with respect. We come to him with respect. So let me ask this before we move on to point number two. Do you fear God's sovereign presence when you are tempted to sin? Do you fear God's sovereign presence when you're tempted to sin? Sometimes I think as a society, our sin is, is getting worse and worse and worse because we just don't fear God. We don't think about the spanking that we're going to get. We don't think about the consequences that we're going to face. We talk so much about God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. And we should because he's all of those things. But we can't separate God's love from God's holiness. And if he's holy, he's worthy to be obeyed and feared. And if you do not obey God, you're going to pay a fine. You're going to pay the price. All of us are still right now paying the price for things in the past that maybe that we should have done for the Lord, that we directly disobeyed Him. It's not that He doesn't forgive us, and it's not that He doesn't love us, but forgiveness does not mean no consequences. We have to take care of the consequences for the decisions that we've made in our life. And I really believe if there was fear, there's a lot of sin that we would turn away from before we got knee-deep in it. I can confess to you in my own life, I feel the reverence of this calling as the pastor and I, I feel unworthy of it. I really do. I'm struggling just like every other pastor to try to live a life worthy of imitating. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ and I want to live that type of life. But can I tell you, there are times even since August, since I've been here, where there's things that I did not necessarily want to do, but I did it equally as much because I fear God as I love him. Because God said, I called you to this. You're going to do what I call you to do. Like Jonah, if you don't, you're going to pay a fine. And you're going to have to deal with it later on. It's not that I don't love him with all of my being, but I also fear him. And sometimes fear is what keeps us walking the Christian life. We need to fear God. So number one, we fear the Lord's sovereign presence. But number two, we fear the Lord's sovereign power. 
We fear the Lord's sovereign power. Here, verses 11 through 14. It says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So we get to the point in this passage where Jonah comes face to face with God's sovereign power and he finally stops running. He realizes that he's got nowhere else to go and he basically has said, I've run far enough. God is going to do what God wants to do. And guys, just go ahead and throw me into the sea. I'm the reason the storm is here. If you cast me into the water, things will be taken care of. I know that I'm the one that's living in sin. And I'm not saying he's saying that with humility. I don't see this picture of Jonah in humility saying, I will take this upon myself, man. No, I see it as someone who's finally thrown his hands up and said, you know what? I can't outrun God. I'm going to face the music. I'm going to face the music. And he's learned what all of us learn from time to time. God does what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. If you look even at some of the stories of Scripture, some of the things that he does, God hardens hearts, he confuses minds, he transforms people into pillars of salt, he keeps the sun in the sky for days at a time, he parts the Red Sea, he creates plagues, he opens and closes the womb, he does anything he wants, but he does it without evil. We need to understand that too. As I'm talking about God and all of these things that God does, we have a tendency, especially in a democracy in America in 2017, to say, okay, God, let me put you in my courtroom and see if you're good. God is good. The Bible says there's not one shred of evil or darkness in him. So when he does these things, he's not doing them as an evil father that loves to torture his children. He does it because he's holy and he will not be trifled with. There's a difference. (laughs) there's a difference. He's a good father. But we need to understand that, again, with his holiness, there's a consequence for every decision that we make. He calls us to obey. Trust and obey. Love and fear. These are things that we're called to have as a package deal. So what happens with the mariners at this point? You have Jonah who's saying, just throw me into the water. The mariners have one final desperate effort. They don't want to chuck him into the water. All right, I guess they have a general respect for mankind and they know how hard it is to live on the sea and they're just not going to toss them over. So what do they do? They try to outmaneuver the power of God. They try to row their way out of it. Doesn't work. They row harder and harder and harder. The storm gets worse and worse and worse. Finally, much like Jonah, they surrender and say, Jonah, sorry, buddy, we tried the best we can. You're going overboard. And they toss him into the water. And as they toss him into the water, at the same time, they are pleading out of fear and reverence to a sovereign God, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. So let me say this before we move on to our third and final point. Does the sovereign power of God lead you to fearfully seek his mercy through confession and forgiveness? We know that he's sovereignly present when you're about to enter into sin. But what about after you've already entered into it? Does his power and his majesty lead you to your knees to confess? It's a gift. 
that God's given us that we can be cleansed, but we have to, out of fear and reverence, drop to our knees and say, you're holy and I'm not. Cleanse me and make me holy. Make me new. Create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's out of reverence and fear of God that we would come to Him and that we would seek confession. So third and finally, fear the Lord's sovereign purpose. Okay, we fear His presence, His power, but we're also called to fear His sovereign purpose. Listen to verses 15 through 16. It says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Again, we see they've gotten to the point now where they understand God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. We can either be on the right side or the wrong side of it. They rowed. They tried their best to, to row out of it. They couldn't, and they finally chucked him overboard, and they see the, the, the storm calms on the sea. And they begin to understand God is sovereignly in control, and his purposes will be completed one way or the other. And how do they respond? Well, the only proper way to respond to these types of things is worship. And that's exactly what they do. It says they feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, here's what I believe before we close out. I don't, there is no proof in that text that the mariners became converts to the one true God. Remember, we said they're polytheists, which means they have several gods. So there's a good possibility they took this idea of the God of the nation of Israel, and they just put them on the top of the list with all their other gods. That very well could have been the case. We have no proof that they became followers of the God of Israel. But what we do know is they feared him. They feared this God, and they responded to this fear through sacrifice and worship. They knew enough to know he's not to be trifled with, and they offered the worship that's due his name. They offered the worship that is due his name. So let me ask all of you before we conclude. Do you fear the consequences of living outside the will of God for your life, knowing that he will achieve his purpose eventually? Do you think about that? Has God asked you to do something? Maybe right now, maybe right now you've come into this service and there's something God's asked you to do or there's something that you know that you better not do and you're, and you're playing with it right now. You're thinking, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I will do this. Maybe I'll, I'll dip my toe in the water of sin just to see what happens. Right now, all of you, we're all walking a path and we all know things that God has called us to do, all right, and things that God has told us not to do. Again, we've talked about this in the past. There are sins of commission, Those are things that we do that disobey God and sins of omission, things that we're told to do that we don't. So before we get to our conclusion, I want to ask you to search your own heart. In your life right now, is there something God has told you to do that you're not doing or something that you know God is not pleased with you doing and you're still doing it anyway? Do you fear God enough to repent and obey him today? Do you fear him enough to obey him today? Because his purposes will be fulfilled whether you're obedient or not. And if you're not, there will be consequences according to his word. So that leads us to our conclusion. Our conclusion is this. The Lord's sovereign presence, power, and purpose all culminate on the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you fear God's sovereignty as much as you rejoice in his salvation? 
Let me read that again for the note takers. The Lord's sovereign presence, power, and purpose all culminate on the cross of Christ. Do you fear God's sovereignty as much as you rejoice in His salvation? So how does this work? Well, think about the cross at Calvary because we're believers in Jesus Christ. Anytime that we read the Old Testament, there's truth for all of us, but we need to make a beeline to the cross and to see how this connects. So where's God's sovereign presence at the cross? Well, God the Father's pouring out all of his wrath on the Son, and Jesus is taking on the wrath that we deserve because God is holy and all sin will be punished. But Jesus is taking on that eternal punishment for us, and he's crying out in repetition of the Psalms, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's God's sovereign presence. What about God's sovereign power on the cross? Well, in God's holiness, all sin had to be accounted for. But in His power, all sin was accounted for through the sacrifice of a perfect Savior. What about His sovereign purpose? In God's love, He wanted to offer us eternal life so that we could be with Him. And that that love does cast out that fear of condemnation. But He allows us to fear Him with an eternal fear of reverence and worship the way any good father would want to be equally loved and feared. And finally, I want to ask you this. If you're not a Christian, if you've come into the service today, you are welcome to be here. We are glad that you're here. Maybe you've heard the Bible today preached for the very first time, and you're trying to put all this together, and it sounds new and different. Let me ask you this question today. Do you know who you're dealing with? I'm just being honest. Do you know who God is? Do you know you have a God who sees everything you do? He knows everything you think. He's heard everything you say. And He is holy. And He's created you to be holy too. And if you will not place your faith in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, when you die, you will have to stand before God in His holiness and you'll have to take up an account yourself for all the sins you've ever committed. Respond by in grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Receive this gift. Know that you will be forgiven, that you will be restored, that you will be offered eternal life, and that God will no longer just be creator, but that he will be father. And that you can begin this amazing, intimate relationship with him for the rest of eternity. If you would only bow your knee and confess with your tongue that Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. But what if you are a Christian? Many of you in this room are professing to be Christians. Do you have that second fear? Not the fear that you're running away from God, but the fear that you're approaching God with the right heart and the right attitude. Do you have that fear? Is that fear keeping you out of sin this week? Is that fear leading you to worship this week? Is it the type of fear that when you're in the middle of a thunderstorm and and you, you see and hear the thunder and lightning and you feel like your life could be taken at any moment, Do you feel that same fear from the one that the thunder and lightning comes from? He is as powerful as he has ever been. He can do whatever he wants. And he's called you to trust and obey him. And you do that out of love, but you also do that out of fear. Do you fear a sovereign Lord? We're going to enter into a a time of invitation. And as always, the altars are open. And I would ask for you to come today for one of two reasons. Number one, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, come, repent of your sins, and receive the gift of eternal life. 
But number two, let's say you are a Christian and you're doing something right now or you're thinking about doing something right now or you're not doing something right now that you should be. Come and repent. Have a healthy fear in God because as your fear of God increases, so will your love when you understand how merciful and how gracious and how amazing our Creator really is. Let us pray together. Father, again, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day. Father, you're wonderful yet so mysterious. You are so powerful and magnificent that if we heard your voice, we would be scared to death. But yet you're so wonderful and gracious and merciful that you call us to climb up on your lap and call you Abba, Father. You're both at the same time, the best of both worlds, Father. And even in our finite minds, as we don't understand this, we just ask that you come. Father, for anybody in this room that does not know your Son as Lord and Savior, I I pray right now that you would remove hearts of stone and replace it with hearts of flesh. For those that do know the Lord but are playing games, they're playing games of their work. They're playing games in their marriage. They're playing games in their neighborhoods. They're playing games. Father, I pray that you would convict their hearts today to repent and to stay away from the pool of sin. Not even enter into it, Father, out of fear for you because you're a loving God, but you're holy. Help us to understand you that we may worship you in spirit and truth. We love you. We thank you and praise you. All for these words in Jesus' name. Amen.